The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to our national conversation about conversations about race, the weekly podcast where we discuss culture, identity, politics, power, and privilege in our pre-post-yet-still-very-racial America. You could say all that or just call this show About Race. I'm Anna Holmes, and joining me from the Panoply Studios in Brooklyn are some of my best friends are Black author Tanner Holby. Hello, Tanner. Hi, Anna. Hi. And also joining us, reporter and documentary filmmaker Fazilat Aslam. Hi, Fazilat. Hi. I'm very glad to have you back. And um, as, as we said on the B-side, I'm going to call you Faz. Yes. As, at your request so that I don't mangle the correct pronunciation of your full name. That would be great. <laughs> okay. So, guys, I don't know if you heard, but Obama gave a farewell address earlier this week. He did. Uh, yes, he did. And an address in which he made a pretty bold assertion that we wanted to dig into today. Now, I've lived long enough to know that race relations are better than they were 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, no matter what some folks say. You can see it not just in statistics. You see it in the attitudes of young Americans across the political spectrum. But we're not where we need to be. And all of us have more work to do. Okay, so what I want to know is the first bit of that true. Is it false? Is is President Obama just seeing it through the kind of rose-colored glasses that he seemed to wear throughout his presidency? Is he sending some sort of message to Trump? Is it both? Is it something else? I mean, he's the first black president of the United States of America. Like, obviously, some shit's changed, you know? Mm-hmm. That being said... Trump is now about to be the next president of America. And I think for some people, things really haven't changed in the past couple of decades. And I think the people that I'm talking about are people who are on the lower rungs of society, the Mm -hmm. people who are still disenfranchised, the the black guy in Harlem who gets arrested for smoking a joint when if you go to Williamsburg, you can barely get through without getting a contact high. Mm -hmm. So... I, I think, yes, in some ways it's changed, but in some ways it really hasn't. But I think his his point after that is what's important is that America is not where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. When he said all of us have more work to do, how did how did you interpret that? What did you interpret that to mean specifically? Because it's easy to say that, but I don't but I wish he had I wish he'd been more specific. I kind of felt like the speech was a greatest hit speech. I didn't feel like he. I don't know. It was, it was, as someone who loves his speeches and really like get, gets up in the morning for them, I thought it was just like, maybe it was the echo in the hangar or something, but it was just like, I didn't feel it. I felt like he was playing his greatest hits and, you know, the race stuff. He said that many, many, many times. Like anyone who tells you it hasn't gotten better didn't live through the 60s. And obviously that's true. I feel like two things. One is that it's gotten better where it's gotten better. And it's gotten worse where it's gotten worse. I think the formulation of has it gotten worse or better is, is, mm. is kind of a false premise, which is that, you know, we certainly have seen a lot of racial progress in this country, and that racial progress that we have seen is largely used to to cover the fact that we're not dealing with or haven't dealt with the rest of it. Like, you know, first black president and, you know, more black shows on TV covers up the fact of mass incarceration and huge deportation camps on the southern border. And, you know, there's this, so there's these, all these invisible problems, and they're sort of distracted by the the theatrics of diversity, which are not purely theatrics because you do have more money in black pockets and you do have more, uh, you have a black president and uh, things like that. 
Um, we, not you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> so, oh yeah, my, my other point in terms of it getting worse is that I think also a lot of the feeling of it getting worse is in the last eight years, we've just acknowledged it more, you know? Like the game is, is now explicit. I feel like for most of my life, race was something that was just like, like, you know, it was over in the corner and mm-hmm. it was like the black issue or the civil rights issue. Mm-hmm. And then there was the rest of America. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Obama's election just sort of cracked it wide open to where you have a, a white nationalist response to it. Like we, we see the game for what it is now. So you're as, saying you're saying that it's, I'm, it's, I'm it's, saying that we as a country, obviously, yeah, yeah. black people saw the game no, no, for what it was. No, but for, that it's, so it's not so much worse; it's that it's more it's more obvious. Like, yeah. it's almost like the a light got turned on to illuminate something right. that was always there. I, I was of the opinion before Trump won that his because you know I assumed he couldn't win for all the various myopic reasons that we all did. That it's good that this is coming out; that we're seeing it. As traumatic as it may be for the people who are on the other end of it, like I know, like I would watch the debates and get like you know, just intellectually horrified. My wife would be in a ball by, on the couch by the end of it, just like horrified by the all the triggers of the man on on the screen. But you know, I was like, we need we, this is going to be good because we're going to see the racism, we're going to see the misogyny that we pretend isn't there, and then we're going to have to deal with it. And he's going to lose, and we're going to see that those things didn't work. That was my naive assumption. But it is to the point now where, like, yeah, it's there. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things I've learned about South Africa, writing and researching about it recently, is that in South Africa, there's none of this racially charged rhetoric crap. It's like, no, it's racist. Like, racism is still called racism in South Africa. You know, and you still have National Party representatives in the parliament. And the ANC deals with them. Even though they're like, yeah, we represent, we're the racist white guys, we're still here, but they call it that. But there's none of this, like, you know. You mean they don't take it as an insult or something to shy away from? No, they're standing up for white people. Mm -hmm. Like, they're the white nationalist party, Mm -hmm. and, like, that's what they are. Like people are in America right now. Yeah, like people are in America right now, as opposed to the 40 years of Republicans talking about, quote, unquote, small government and states' rights, Mm -hmm. and everyone pretending that it wasn't a cover for for white nationalism and and denying rights to, to people of color. So I feel like. As difficult as it's, it's, it's ultimately better. And this is where this is my main. I don't fall in the political correctness is wrong or leftist overreach and intellectual suppression. But I do think that political correct part of the problem with political correctness is that it pushed all this stuff under the rug without getting rid of it. Racists learned how to behave in public because of political correctness, but the racism didn't go away. Is it because of political correctness, though? Yeah. Yeah. There was a point where, like, you know, it's like, all right. Well, but, 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 like, I would say it was as much about community standards for basic decency. Or is that just a euphemism for political correctness? I think it, it's a continuum of, I mean, political correctness, people think of that 90s college speech police kind of thing. But it was just a general, like, all right, you're not allowed to talk this way anymore. If you were the white guy who got caught forwarding the racist email at the Fortune 500 company, you'd get fired and they'd bring out a podium and they'd yeah, start a diversity politi- conference not, and all that. I, I don't know. I guess we could do a whole other episode about like right. what political practice means because I think it's a very vague term that means some... Yeah, anyway. Okay. Right. So... But I think the point is, is, is generally true that, yes, I think, you know, we improved people's behavior to a, lot, to a large extent, but I think also people with bad ideas just learn not to express them. And I think the internet and Trump brought all that back to the surface and showed that it hadn't gone away. Mm -hmm. So in the sense, it feels a lot worse because we're 
it's you know it's in all the comment sections as opposed to well it was quietly thriving right yeah. in mm-hmm. these bubbles mm-hmm. that's what happened mm-hmm. it right. was it was quietly just bubbling on on Facebook mm-hmm. and and now it's it's out in the open and you know I think it's as good a thing as watching a car speeding towards you as it's about to hit you like you see it coming and it's and it's horrible and it's you know it's going to be painful but i guess it's better that you can see it as opposed to it hitting you from behind yeah i don't know <laughs> now how long have you been in the united states at this point how many years have you been here i have been here since 2013 august of 2013 okay i mean i realize that's only like three and a half years have you noticed a change in the u.s in those three and a half years, and then also maybe even more broadly as an observer of the U.S. before you were here, do you feel like race relations in the U.S., from what you've observed or experienced, are better or worse? I mean, as a journalist, I can tell you that the stories that I have seen have not changed dramatically, although since Trump has come into the picture, people feel far more freedom in saying far more offensive things than they ever did before. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me personally, Mm -hmm. certainly in the stories that I've covered. So do I think race relations have changed? Um, Yeah, I do. I think that, as Tana said, things have come out into the open more than they were before. As a Muslim, I think people are far more willing to tell me to get out of the country than they were prior because I think there was at least an example set by Obama that has been completely turned on its head by Trump. I think there is a complete absence now of basic common decency, Mm -hmm. which of course is going to affect race relations in this country. I mean, I my recommendation for this week, which I don't really feel like I can wait to talk about anymore, is um. O.J. Simpson Made in America, the Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. seven-hour documentary, which I would really encourage everyone to watch. You know, I watched that documentary, and I realized how little things have changed. About a year and a half ago, I made a piece about Eric Garner, Mm -hmm. the the black man who was killed by a chokehold by Mm -hmm. the police. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talked to his mother, his Mm -hmm. wife, and his daughter. And I can tell you that... Those three women have this man's death, his murder, documented, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's in America today. Mm -hmm. And you want to tell me that things have gotten better for minorities in this country? Things have changed, but I think the way things are going now, certainly for people who were struggling under Obama's administration, things are going to get worse under Trump's administration. Of course they are. That's a reality. Do you think you'll stay in the United States? I or have don't, you thought about leaving? I have definitely thought about leaving. Mm-hmm. I don't know if my visa is going to get renewed. I don't. When are you going to find out? So my visa is an artist visa. I get it for three years, which are already over now, and then I have to renew it every year. And Trump doesn't want skilled i mean trump doesn't want immigrants in this country at all essentially unless they're german sure and <laughs> so for me even as a skilled an immigrant with certain skills mm-hmm. I'm, i i don't feel wanted in this country you know i was talking to tanner earlier about how i was outside of the states doing work and uh one i didn't really have to listen to the news cycle but two i was just like oh, it's it's so nice to feel like you're in a country where the president hasn't talked about kicking you out mm-hmm. 
And that feeling of unwantedness really sinks into you and into your core. And I know that if I do stay in this country, if I do get a visa, I will have to be responsible for talking to a lot of people who don't think I should be here. And um, I'm going to be doing a job that people will not feel that I deserve because of my nationality. Mm-hmm. One thing I think might also be true is and this has a lot to do with technology and the pace of demographic change and the tectonic shift that Obama has represented, which is that as bad as it was and has been for, for black people and people of color up until the recent uh, past in this country, there were always sort of like rules of engagement between the black minority and the power structure. Under Jim Crow, you had, you know, you had black power brokers who, you know, go and deal with the local white establishment and get what concessions they needed for the black part of town. And and that would be sort of a negotiated settlement. And then, you know, you had the black leadership under civil rights era. Then in the eighties, that sort of evolved into the set of rules where if white people fucked up, Jesse Jackson would show up, knock on their door and they would pay out certain concessions. And there was like, there was like rules to the system. And I think given the, the browning of American and, and rapid demographic shifts and technology that's bringing all this back out in the open. I don't think we know what the rules are right now. And I think that may be one reason why it feels worse as opposed to it was bad in the eighties, but it was stable in a way that was predictable. And so like this, this even, yeah, even, even when it, stability is bad, there's like predictable I comfort. Don't know that it. It was sta- I don't know that it was stable in the eighties, but I, no, I mean, I, I, I hear it wasn't I, changing as fast as it is now. Maybe, but I was a kid then, so who knows? But well, that's the we, thing, yeah. Why don't you look at a group like Black Lives Matters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. People don't think it's even right for Black Lives Matters to exist because they think the the very name, Black Lives Matters, somehow is... Exclusionary to... Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so where do you go? What, <laughs> like, what do you even do when you aren't even allowed to exist? You aren't even allowed to fight for the rights of mm-hmm. minorities mm-hmm. and those who are disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something that you mentioned a couple minutes ago uh, reminded me that that in the farewell address, it's really weird for me to say <laughs> Obama gave a farewell address, but he did. He touched on immigration a fair bit. The fact that Irish and Italians and uh, Poles, other folks we now see as white or coded as white, went through a certain difficult gauntlet that immigrants today are currently experiencing. And I wanted to know if you felt like that was a fair comparison. No, but they're white. <clears throat> the people he's talking about are white. Of right. course they, there was the, an integration that... Well, they, didn't, they, they weren't considered white. Yeah, they weren't white at the time. Right, but a Mexican is never going to be considered white mm-hmm. unless you pass for white, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can speak as a Pakistani. Uh, my sister is much more lighter skinned than I am. Mm-hmm. But when you see her name, yeah. you know that she's not white. Right. And that's the thing. Like Irish, Italians, and Polish people, we're talking specifically about skin color, can integrate in a way where you don't have to question, they don't have to think about mm-hmm. They don't have to think about their race because they're white. They're part of the majority or they're part of the people in power. As someone who is a different skin color than the majority, you have to constantly think about it. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference. That's why you cannot integrate. And I think just that fact, the color of your skin. Or that's why you're not accepted as integrating, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. 
I think you're thinking too short term. You're thinking too now. If you take the 250 years, whiteness is far more mutable and expansive and protean than, than you give it credit for. And that's why I think the alt-white people are are idiots because they've bought you in. you alt-white? Alt-right. Did oh. I say alt-white? <laughs> I thought I said alt-white people. <laughs> the power of whiteness th- doesn't come from its purity or its skin color. The power of whiteness comes from its fungibility, the fact that it doesn't mean anything. It is a non-category. It's something that people made up in order for, say, all right, these are white people. Now imagine the power structure of a society, like in, let's say, the French Revolution, right? People revolt. Who had power? And who do we want to take it away from? Those 300 aristocratic families had power. Okay, let's kill them, and now we're going to take power. In America, or in a white supremacist society, you say, who's in control? White people. Who's white people? It's whoever we say it is. Yeah, but Jewish I Jewish mean, people can be white now. My mother wasn't white. Okay, but let's... Okay? No, but, no, but... But, 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 but it, to think that whiteness will not expand and change itself... But maybe, include, it, but maybe it only will so much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, okay, let's go back. But, to but, the, but, but it's always historically, it has always expanded itself enough to stay in power. I don't know if it's going to go as far to expand look, people who have us. Irish, Italian, and Polish people have been in this country for how long a time? How long have slaves been in this country? Okay, but, how, but, but, black right, people. Right. Black people are going to be the last ones in the door. less integrated into but, this country than those immigrants that Obama spoke of. And I think that speaks to the fact that. Whiteness is limited, but right, but yeah, but originally what had nothing to do with skin color. Originally, it was about head circumference and all this crazy pseudo scientific. No, but let's talk about, about the, let's talk about the groups that we're focusing on, right? Like the, the people that he mentioned, they have been integrated into America right. as Americans, as as an American. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. What about black people? Your imagination is too limited. You're thinking about skin color. Stop thinking about skin color. No, but why I does white? I'm why, a brown yeah, person. Yeah, no, but, yeah exactly. You, no, but, but you're thinking about today. You're not thinking about a hundred years from now. Yes, today, whiteness is about skin color, and that, that excludes you today. And I bet it's going it, to be in a hundred years from now. Will it a hundred years from now? I bet it will be. If Fazilat Aslam comes to America and has lots of money. In 70 years, whiteness will include your children, your grandchildren. No, look, my father came to this country as a banker, okay? And so he was accepted to a certain extent, right? The reason he never came back was because of 9-11, which is a whole different thing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But speaking specifically of the immigrants that Obama mentioned, what those people all have in common is that they are, for the most part, white, okay? Look at the history of black people in this country. They have been around a lot longer than those people, but they have not been able to integrate in the same way. Why? Because of the color of their skin. Right. You're absolutely right. But I, you're talking about now. I'm talking about 200 years from now. Well, or 100. Well, we're, but, we'll all be dead, so. <laughs> yeah. We will be dead. The arc of the universe bends towards whiteness. <laughs> it does. But I think I think it is naive to assume that whiteness cannot adapt to save itself. That it that it it, it I don't think it historically years, has. Two hundred years from now, that's great. But what what do we do now? I'm not talking about what we do. I'm talking about how power is going to be maintained in this country over the course of. I like the to universe. be an optimist at times, but I but I but I, I'm not with you here. Well, I, I'm not saying it will happen. I'm saying it could happen. I'm saying you have to consider the possibility that. The white power structure will say, okay. "Okay, well, tell me, tell me how, tell me the, like, explain. Can can you like dig deeper and 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 give me the ways that that might happen? Like, like, what's the process by which that happens? Well, because you're it's, saying it's, it might happen. That's the end result. Fine. How do we get there? It's been. And I'm happening. not saying that it's that it, that it's desirable either. But 
It's it's because it's it's happened at every turn. Catholics were not white. It was it was just the it was the Ralph Waldo Emerson wasp was whiteness. It was it was the Anglo Saxon and it, but those no are one intangible else. non non visual cues. Right. right. In, so so why why tell me why a hundred years from now whiteness not might not be a cultural thing and not a skin color thing. Whiteness is nothing. It means nothing. It has no, like, being French is a thing. Being Pakistani is a thing. Those are cultural and ethnic identities that have roots in something. But Whiteness is a make-believe idea. It can be That's not the reality anything. that we exist in. That's today. Not how, that's today. not, today. not the reality we live in today. Okay, well, then it's not going to be called whiteness anymore. I mean, because... Right, it might change into something else. Because whiteness is nothing yeah. but a set of okay, rules but I'm asking to decide you, who has I'm asking power. you to game that out. Mixed-race people today in this country... If they're given a big bear hug of economic opportunity and brought in and marry into white families and become a part of the establishment, then the definition of whiteness expands just a little bit to include mixed race people. It could. It hasn't yet. It no, could. because that's being white is really just about how you present. That's what being white is in this country. No, being white is about ultimately. It's like plausible deniability. <laughs> no, it's, that's what being white. It's about passing as white. That's what yeah. white is. It's ne- that's that's never ever going to be different. Is the is the hierarchy of power going to be different? I certainly hope so in two hundred years. But we are talking about the difference between whiteness and non-whiteness, and that has nothing to do with anything. Other than the color of your skin or, right. or how you can pass. The, you're working off the definition of whiteness is today. I am saying that whiteness is a concept that is meaningless. So therefore it can mean anything. <sighs> to say that it's meaningless, like I get where you're going with that. But I don't think it's true. It actually has a lot of meaning. And like ask any person of color. <laughs> like it actually has a lot of meaning. Like, it does. In, in or ask Trump supporters. Sure. Sure. So so I get the point. But I also reject it because okay. it, it actually does you, have a lot of meaning. It has a whole fuckload of meaning. It has all, maybe maybe all the meaning. I can't think of something that's more meaningful in this country than whiteness, maybe maleness. But honestly, I, I, it's a. He said it in his speech, and I I don't know if I'm quoting directly because these are just notes I was taking. But mm-hmm. I think he said either he said something or this was my note. But post racial America is not real right after he was elected people were like oh racism is over because we have a black president Mm -hmm. except not at all he said race is a potent and divisive force in society and it is and that's Mm. the reality of it right so to talk about 200 years from now sure that's great but but right now race i think is more of an issue than ever before because you have people who are trump supporters well, let's not talk about all right. These people are neo-Nazis. These people are saying because of the color of your skin, you should be afforded more rights or more privilege. That is a serious issue that is facing us today. And that as a person who is not white, as in cannot pass as white, will face injustice because of that. Yes, you're and 100% correct. How are we supposed to combat that rhetoric? That's my confusion. Mm-hmm. How do you even begin to argue with someone? That thinks that you somehow have less rights because of the color of your skin. I don't know that you can argue with them. Hopefully you marginalize them and continue to, not you, but personally, but that that that's the way that they're, quote unquote, you know, dealt with. I don't know that you waste the energy on ar- in arguing with someone who holds views like that. Like, what's the point? Right. And yeah, again, you, hopefully you marginalize them. What I think has happened with the election is that they've they've gone from a certain marginalization to a certain they've achieved a certain legitimacy in in some people's eyes which is very troubling 
Uh, mm-hmm. And and they achieved a certain legitimacy in the highest office of the land because I don't know that I would describe Donald Trump as a neo Nazi or as alt right, but and this is not I'm not giving him any passes. I just don't know if I would use that language to describe him. But it's very telling that yeah, he has a lot of supporters who who I would describe that way. Was there anything else about the farewell address that struck you that you wanted to discuss? I think for me personally, when he talked about the importance, the most important thing one can be as a citizen, I think that's something that we have to grow past. Mm -hmm. You know, he talked about America being the most respected nation in the world. And I think that's a problem because if you are the best or the most respected. <laughs> this is the best we mean, got. <laughs> no, but no, but that means one, it's not, right? Yeah. Like I, not I it's certainly not anymore. But I think it's it's a little bit of a grade school argument mm-hmm. or grade school position to take. Mm-hmm. We're the best. Because if you are the best, that means someone <laughs> is not as good as you, right? right. Someone is less than. Yeah. You know, I wish he'd said something like, we're all humans, but, you know, he's the president of the United States of America. He, mm-hmm. He's a politician. Mm-hmm. As a politician, he cannot say that. But I think that's my problem. You know, we're talking about Amer- whether it's Donald Trump talking about America being great again or President Obama talking about America being the best or the most respected nation. This is the time for America to have humility right. and change the narrative yeah. to be less about being the best and talk more about the equality that he was talking about. Do you believe that he really believes that America is, is the best? No. Or, I, I mean, I look, that's I think... That's just I'll, empty rhetoric that he has to say in the same way he has to wear a flag pin and, my you know, only yada, criticism, yada, yada. My only criticism of Obama is that he's had to toe the party line. He has had to. I think if he could have done whatever he wanted as president, it would have been a different America. I truly do. We, but. <laughs> yeah, we, I, we had this episode. Do you remember, were, you, were you there, Tanner, uh, when we had the episode we were talking about whether or not Obama was going to really let loose once he got out of office or whether maybe this is just who he is. <laughs> and I was saying, I have this you know, fantasy that he's just going to become the person I've been waiting for him to become. I've been waiting to exhale. for, <laughs> but, that, but that, in fact, he might just be this innately cautious, optimistic, we can all get along. I guess you, I guess you weren't on that show. No, I wasn't okay. here. Well, what but, do you think? I No, I think he does genuinely believe it. I don't think you can recognize America as... A country that operates, I won't say the best, but as as a unique place in the world, given that that its history is is unique in many ways, and that many people have come here and found the American dream, as it were. And it, we can also be a capitalist, colonialist exploiter of people of color around the world at the same time. Those two things can exist at the same time. So to have, be who he is and have his background and become the first black president, he has to buy in on some level that this is a country where anything is possible. And all those things, good things about America are still true, even if you don't want to say that we're the best. And you can't be president with the downer message. And that was largely the problem of, of the Democratic Party going up against Reagan in the 80s. And Reagan was like, hey, it's morning in America. Everything's fine. And the Democratic Party was kind of in this position saying kind of a defeatist America attitude, which which Clinton and Obama, Obama kind of stole that back from them a little bit. That was sort of like the, the interesting thing about his eight years, which for a black man to come back and take that narrative of American greatness for himself. So I think he does genuinely believe it. And insofar as the president has to be the cheerleader in chief, uh, you know, don't you think that the president could be the cheerleader in chief in a way that, that, you know, kind of deftly, and I'm not saying he doesn't do this, but the straddles both being realistic, but also continuing to be a champion of the country. So for example, instead of saying America is the best saying, 
we can do better. We're we're very good, but like here's the here here are the areas in which we could do so much better. I feel like he did. We have to do more as citizens and blah blah. Yeah, but that but to me, yeah, I, I guess that just feels empty. I guess I wanted specificity, and uh, you know, again, I, maybe I want something from this man that I can't get. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Tana, what you said about it being his sort of greatest hits is right. You know, right. I just. Trump has just said so many ridiculously offensive things about him. Just waiting for him to sort of Mm -hmm. say something that's not immature or, you know, as low as Trump. But sometimes I just feel like you just continue giving candy to this child in the hopes that he'll shut up Mm -hmm. when really you you need to put him in the corner and give him a timeout. And I'm wondering why... On his way out, he still hasn't said anything. And I understand he's talking about a peaceful transition, but well, if you, I, I wanted a little bit more force. Well, I mean, if you go, I mean the, the myth that, that is, and who knows how accurate it is, I think it's definitely some part of it, which is if you have, ever, if you have watched the tape of Obama Ugh. shitting on and humiliating Trump at the White House correspondence that are from 2012 or 13 or 14, whichever year it was, and Trump just sitting there like seething. He has no sense of humor about himself. And that that was the spark that said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck this guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show them." Don't you think he's trying to model adult behavior? Not that it's gonna work. I mean, yeah, not that it's actually, gonna work. Speaking of people who are totally set in their ways and, and, and have also, no capacity for change, I think that would be Donald J. Trump. Right. No. And 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 I think we've seen through a lot of uh, you know late night comedy poking fun of Trump that it, it only it it only you know emboldened his people. Oh look, they are mocking us, those coastal elites, mm-hmm. and it only made them more likely to vote for him. I'm not talking about mocking, but I think just some validation mm-hmm. in yeah. what's happening is yes, wrong, you know? And I'm not saying you're right. Like his speech, I think, was really important for people to have hope and feel empowered and feel like we can get through the next couple of years. But something that was a little bit more forceful in the rejection of mm-hmm. what Trump has been espousing and uh, his behavior. Yeah. Why, was, why not? There was someone or someone's, I'm sure there actually, I'm sure actually there were millions of people who did this, but who who was online during and after the speech, probably this is on Twitter because I assume I was looking at Twitter and they, I don't know if you've seen that meme, the cartoon dog in the burning room who is saying this is fine as the room burns around him, that, that there was a number of people who made a comparison between that cartoon dog and Obama. I don't know if, if, if that farewell address would be, have been the place for him to go off, so to speak. But again, I would like for it to happen in some shape or form in the next 15 days. Anything else anyone you guys want to add, or are we done with the farewell address, and are we going to look forward to the inauguration? Are you going to watch the inauguration? Well, I'll watch it. Yeah, I'm going for the philosophy of, of focusing on the pain. Okay. Yeah, I am reading everything and looking at everything, and and I'm you know, to me that's that's the way to deal with it. Some people don't want to deal with it. Is at that all. sustainable? We'll see. Okay. Are you going to pay attention to the inauguration? No, I can't. Not yeah. for my mental health. I can't. Yeah. I'm. I might be going down to DC for the march, mm-hmm. or I might be doing the march in New York. I'm mm-hmm. not sure yet. But I remember in college, uh, during Bush's inauguration, I was so upset, and uh, I was on a public forum at my college, and um, someone, this this girl who was a Bush supporter, told her 
boyfriend who then messaged me and uh, told me I was a towelhead N-word who he was going to rape. So I feel very hesitant to express my opinions about what I think of this inauguration. And I think for me, it's better to just not even witness it because I don't know what's. It doesn't sound like there's going to be any benefit and it's only a downside. Yeah. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Understood. I haven't decided what I'm going to do. I am going to D.C., but I don't know about the inauguration part of it. I might do a la 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 la. I can't hear you. Now, that's going to be on the Friday and we're taping an episode. Mm. Uh, I don't know what time the inauguration starts, but noon. he gets sworn at noon. <sighs> okay, so we're gonna have a lot to talk about. So actually, I will have to watch it because you we're will. gonna have to talk about it yeah. three hours later. Okay, well, there you go. There you All go. right, so let's go on to our our next segment, which is our recommendations. And I know you just you you gave a recommendation. Before we do that, if you want to weigh in on the discussion we just had, shoot us a note at showaboutrace at gmail dot com or give us a call at six one two eight 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 R A C E. So, with regards to the recommendations, Tanner, I'm going to first ask you, and then I'm going to go back to Faz. <laughs> I can't call you Faz. I, I, I want to, but I feel like... You I can feels, do it. I just feel like it's a... The, no, everyone... It's, no. It's me giving up. Um, no. Okay. Tanner. Yes. Recommendations. Um, hmm, what do I got? Uh, I've just kind of been drowning in the news. I've been... Uh, that's all I've been doing is watching uh, confirmation hearings and... Mm-hmm. and uh, press conferences. Was there any moment during the confirmation hearings or press conferences that you would recommend people <laughs> go back and relive? No, okay. no, okay. no. Yeah, so I, I don't have anything to recommend this week. I'm, well, I'm, I'm what dry. about, well, this reminds me, this, and this might be my my recommendation, that there were, because I also have been kind of not not paying attention to the news. That said, you know, social media has a way of surface, surfacing certain things, and there were two videos that I felt were very moving that I saw, and I, I guess they're going to be my, my recommendations. One was Obama giving Biden the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I have complicated feelings about uh, Vice President Biden, mostly because of, well, for a lot of reasons, but including his behavior during Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearings and his behavior t- specifically towards Anita Hill. But I found that the video very moving. There was also a video that I saw just today, and I don't know if it was from last night or when it was from, but I think it was from this week, that was a clip from The Tonight Show. And I have issues with Jimmy Fallon, actually, because of, well, for a lot of reasons, but especially for the way that he legitimized Donald Trump when he came on the show. Jimmy Fallon had the first lady, Michelle Obama, on, and he got a group of of Michelle Obama fans to send her kind of farewell messages. And they were talking to a portrait of her, uh, not knowing that she was behind the curtain. And then so there's all these, there's all this footage of her coming out and surprising mostly young people. And it's, it's, you know, they start crying and it's very moving. And it just, it's, it's, it's a recommendation because it's a reminder how lucky we have been to have that family in the White House. I mean, just can you can you imagine any other first lady? <laughs> I mean, just think yeah. about what's yeah. coming up. Yeah. Um, oh my God. So my recommendations are viral videos, <laughs> and your recommendation was OJ Made in America. Yes. And yeah, what I wanted to ask you about it was how much did you know about the OJ story before you watched the documentary? Like, how much did you feel like you learned? And also. What did you think as a documentary filmmaker about about the film as a film? I think it's an exceptional film. I think it's I mean it's seven hours, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a mini 
course on race relations mm-hmm. and and the police in America. Um, you know, I the first year I ever lived in America was during the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were like allowed to watch the trial during art class, and I was like, I just want to make paintings. Like, why were we? you? Were you in high school? Or no, this was in like elementary. Oh, school. you were really young. Yeah, okay. I was in uh-huh. fifth grade. This was 1994, 95, okay. mm-hmm. and I was in yeah, I was in the fifth grade, and I was in Greenwich. I was like, the, oh wow, yeah, Talk I about was white. The, <laughs> I was the only non-East Asian person. Like, uh, I was the only minority who wasn't. East Asian, Asian. Uh right? Like no black kids, no brown kids. It was me. I was like the one brown person in the whole school. But, you know, we were watching uh, the trial. And so I, all I know about it is, is what I, what I knew then is that he, he was proven innocent. So I learned a lot Mm -hmm. in, in the piece, but for a seven hour piece, I have to say every single minute of it is riveting. Yeah. And not to be a complete sensationalist, but I'm trying to sell it here. I mean, it's got murder, it's got <laughs> intrigue, it's got the police, it's got the glamour, like it has it. Sex it, drugs, it, yeah. Se- sex, drugs, everything. Yeah. And and it's got the bloody Kardashians. But <laughs> but really, it is such a nuanced and a meticulous film that covers more than I could have ever imagined. And what I didn't realize was how much... O.J. Simpson rejected being a black person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He didn't just mm-hmm. say that he transcended race. He really mm-hmm. kind of looked down on black people mm-hmm. until he was forced to or face. Or considered his... himself to be different. Yeah, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. Until um, until he could use until he could use his blackness for well, until his he own... had to right until yeah. he had to face until <clears throat> he had to face uh, being a black man in America when mm-hmm. he was tried for murder. I think it's an exceptional documentary, and I think. If you, as a white listener, want to understand a little bit of the black perspective, specifically when it comes to one's feelings about the police, mm-hmm. uh, it's really important. And I, I think the police as a character in that show is really yeah. fascinating. And that documentary covers it better than uh, a lot of other work that yeah, I've seen. It's really good. It's a sort of documentary that despite being seven hours... Well, actually, I liked the fact that it was seven hours. Like, it couldn't, I couldn't be get, any less. I couldn't get enough of it. And in fact, I may watch it again someday. Maybe not soon, but because that's a, that's a pretty big commitment of time. But it's it's, it's the sort of thing that I think that you could watch again and get even more from. And this all about a subject that a lot of people figure they know everything about because it's been, especially when it was happening during the time that, that there was a lot of press attention on on that case. Well, you learn so much, and uh, it's it will also shock you how little things yeah. have changed. Yeah. Yeah, and also just about American history and race relations, and so so much. Have you seen it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm just you no. better have seen it. All right, so that is all for today. Our producer is AC Valdez. Our research assistant and tech maven is Cody Carvel. Thanks also and and always to Alana Milner, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. You can see its entire roster of delightful podcasts at iTunes.com/slash/Panoply. You can find links to the things we've discussed today on our website, which is showaboutrace.com. And we've got a phone number, so give us a call. Ready? It's 612-888-RACE. If you'd like to email us or send us a voice memo, the address again is showaboutrace at gmail.com. And of course, you can follow along with the conversation or join it yourself on Facebook or Twitter at showaboutrace. In the meantime, thanks so much for joining our national conversation about conversations about race. On behalf of Tanner and Fazilat, I'm Anna Holmes.